2 p.m. Pacific. This is Pillars of Franchising, broadcasting the secrets of success in franchising. I'm Fred McMurray, and I'm with my co-host, Ray Pillar and Holly A. Ford. Ray, how you doing? Holly, how you doing? Doing great, Fred. Holly, good to talk to you guys again. So, Ray, where are you today? I am at home, and the weather is, can I say crappy? <laughs> well, I'm going to, so yes, you can. <laughs> yeah, it's, well, it's not really, it's it's rainy, it's, uh, well, that's better than snow, but uh, it's uh, 46.7 degrees out here, and uh, it feels kind of wintry, if you know what I mean, the, the wind is blowing a little bit, and it's raining, it's so how's the weather yeah. out on the left coast? Well, it's ray weather. It's overcast. It's been rainy. It's well, probably in the upper <laughs> 60s. So, yeah, we're about 20 degrees better. But I call it ray weather. So, you know, <laughs> okay. uh, my my office landlord was in earlier today, and he was just really, really annoyed at the weather. It's just it's like, <laughs> man, there's a reason people live in California, and this ain't the weather. So, Holly. Where are you at today, and, and what's the weather like with you? All right, so we have to talk about this, Fred. We had the most beautiful sunny day, 68 degrees, Cincinnati, Ohio. And now we get on the show, and the clouds all came out. It's dark and gloomy, and the wind's kicking up, and it's getting chilly, and I blame you. Hey, I'm not the one who brings the bad weather. That's Ray. It's Ray yeah. weather. No, Ray is my sunshine. You are the gloom. Uh, see? <laughs> All right. Somebody's getting, sunshine. Somebody, somebody's getting muted. Yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Sun. Yeah, so, Ray. You know, Fred, you steal everybody's sun, and you bring it to yourself, and then we all have to live in the darkness So, of your shadow. Wow, I'm just going to mute myself now and go away. I'm depressed. There you go. Okay. <laughs> All right, enough of this. Um, any any big news? Any big news this week? Ray? Nope, 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 nope. No big news. Holly? Big news? Yeah, Zarian got a couple of new purchase contracts. So we, uh, we're kicking bottom over here. How about you? Well, for us... Uh, we've signed our first uh, in the relaunch of our broadcast network, Link Local Network, which is our broadcast uh, network. Uh, they've taken in a group of nine community voice bloggers who will start going training uh, tomorrow, which is the first time they've taken community voice bloggers in for a while. So uh, we look for a lot of great content for achieving work-life balance and a lot of great new traffic. So very pumped about that. Ray, who's our first guest? Our first guest is Harold Kastenbaum. Welcome to the show, Harold. And Harold uh, is an attorney uh, for the franchise or Is that correct, Harold? That is correct, and thank you for having me, folks. Great to have you. Where, where are you located, Harold? I'm on, I'm on Long Island, and the weather is 60 degrees and sunny. Oh, that's what we had yesterday. <laughs> so whatever we get, you guys get. You know, whatever. 
whatever Fred gets, we get, then. <laughs> yeah, then it comes east. Yes, I get it. <laughs> West to east. Clouds are coming. Exactly. Oh, so, Harold, how did how did you get how did you get started in the in the uh, franchise law business? Uh, back in 1977, I know that was before a lot of you guys were born. Um, <laughs> I I started working for a very small law firm in Manhattan, and I was out of law school for two years. And the guy who owned the firm had one client that did franchising. And before that, the only thing I knew about franchising was going to McDonald's and Burger King. Uh, so he said to me, I need you to learn about franchising for this client because I don't have time to work with them on the franchise side. And remember, in 1977, you couldn't Google anything and you couldn't look at a computer. So I actually had to read books. Oh, so, books? Books. Remember that? Books? So, no. No, most people don't. So for four years, I immersed myself in franchising and what it was about, and I read all the books, and I went to as many seminars as I could find. And for four years, while I was helping this guy make money, I said, you know what, I like this. So in 1981, I went out on my own, and I've been doing it ever since. Wow. Fantastic. Yeah, and it's, been, it's, a, it's a great area of the law. It's, it's, it's business. I'm like a businessman who happens to be a lawyer. Awesome. So when you, when you put together these franchise disclosure documents, what's the p- typical process you go through with the franchisor, and, and why would they want to use you over, um, you know, your competitors, for example? Uh, well, let's take the last question first. They come to me for a number of reasons. I'm, I'm less expensive than the bigger firms, and there are very few franchise lawyers who have been doing this for as long as I've been doing it. Uh, so I bring a vast amount of experience. I ran a franchise company for four years. I sat on the board of directors of Sabaro for 22 years. So I've got much more experience than a lot of these young guys who are doing it for four or five years and, and get much bigger fees than I do. It's nice that they could do that, but I feel bad for companies who are entrepreneurial and don't have a lot of money and when they see $50,000 or $30,000 as the fee to do this, I'm saying to myself, that is a rip. Why would they do that? Because, quite frankly, none of them do it from scratch. They take an old template and they just redo it. So they're making a huge profit off of these small companies, and I don't like to do that. Okay, so since Holly took, Holly took us down the road to the FDD, which is I consider it's the um, – the greatest cure for insomnia known to mankind. Absolutely. Um, what What are the three top three items you recommend a somebody that's looking to buy a franchise read first? There isn't three. It's really the, the first seven items are the most important. Okay, bring them. Uh, uh, you know, you want to know about the company. That's item number one. Number two, you want to know who the people are, who you're dealing with. That's item number two. Number three, you want to know if they've been in jail or, or have a criminal record or litigation. And then number five, you want to know how much money you're paying in fees. And in six, you want, you want to know how much the ongoing fees are. And in seven, you want to know what it's going to cost to get into the business. Ooh, Ray, cost to get into yeah. business. Go for it. That's important. 
Yeah, you bet. Absolutely. Well, one of the things I always tell people when they ask me, you know, how much, you know, do I need? I tell them whatever, whatever the uh, FTD says, double or triple it, because yeah, you well, don't need that money. That's probably safe to say when somebody's buying a franchise. Yeah, yeah. If they don't. Uh, the franchises usually don't tell you what you're going to need in case things go a little backwards on them. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, a, de- a depression or something like that. You know, usually not. Yeah. So when you create so what, what these you... contracts, sorry, go ahead. No, you go ahead. All right. Well, when you create these contracts with the franchisors and you're and you're working through the process, what are some of the typical roadblocks that you come in in contact with with these franchisors? Well. You know, I give them a very detailed questionnaire to fill out, and if 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 they don't have an existing operation, and they all should, by the way, um, it's a little difficult. But if they have an existing operation, filling out the questionnaire is not that difficult. And I usually go over the fees with them and what the, what they should be charging and in whatever industry that they're in. Uh, so it, it, it will take a while, but I don't see that there are a lot of roadblocks and. And a lot of these franchisors are smart enough to hire consultants who help them do that, which is nice to have. If, and if not all of them can afford it, but when they do, it makes it easier for me. And what's the typical timeline from from start to finish? Four to six weeks, usually. could be less, but usually that's about the timeline. That's fantastic. And then you do you assist them in registering with the states at that point? Well, yeah, I mean, that, that the fees are... I, well, let me back up. One thing I learned back in 1982 is that entrepreneurs do not like to be charged by the hour. Um, they're very opposed to that, and I learned that back in my days at Sbarro. So all of my fees are fixed fees. So the, the fee for doing the, the FDD is a fixed fee, no matter how long it takes. And then once the FDD is done, then they have the opportunity to sign off on my monthly retainer program, which for for you know between a thousand and two thousand dollars a month, we do all of their franchise work, including all their registrations, their renewals, anything that involves their franchising, we do for that fee, and it doesn't cost them more than that except for disbursements, which is very appealing when they when when it, the other op- option is six hundred dollars an hour. Wow, that's fantastic. I'm sure you have a lot of clients, I'm assuming. Do you have a lot of new clients right now, or are they really yeah, ongoing? Uh, no, I've got both. I mean, I've, I have many clients who have been around for many years, and I have new clients coming on all the time. And say, how do you have time to be on the show? Fixed, fixed, uh, Fred, asked, When Fred gave me the opportunity, I said, I'll, I'll, ta- I'll carve out some time to do this. We're honored. I'm just like... Wow. Fixed fees? Yeah. I haven't met a lawyer yet who said you that. Won't. <laughs> no, you're not going to find too many. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, no. Well, I, I was just looking at Harold's uh, LinkedIn uh, thing here, and it, it, the list just goes on and on and on of the, of the uh, franchises he's he's represented. That's really impressive, i, I got to say. Thank you. So, uh, one of, one of the things I, I, I need to ask you, so 1977 to now is 42 years. What changes have you seen in those 42 years in in, uh, in franchising and the FDD and things like that? How long do we have? <laughs> <laughs> uh, things, things, look, when, 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 
I'll give you just a little tidbit. Back in 1977, 1980, the only way you could advertise to sell franchises was in the Wall Street Journal or the New York Times or USA Today. There was no such thing as the Internet. There was no such thing as social media. So, and, oh, and there were trade shows and, and small ones. So that was the only way a company could market their franchises. Obviously, that's changed today with social media, with the Internet, and, and, very, and, and there's no such thing as print. Nobody print. There's no print ads. Nobody advertises with print. It's too expensive. And the trade shows, I think, have gone down as opposed to going up. There, there are less of them. But I think that the Internet changed franchising dramatically. I mean, in terms of not only on my side, but on, on the operational side and retail and advertising and, you know, Facebook and, inter, and Instagram and all of that has, has made franchising more accessible to everybody as opposed to when I started doing this. That's very true. Very true. How about item 20? Uh, yeah, you knew I was coming. Uh, what about item 20? Let's talk about item 20 and why why that's almost, um, I think, one of the most important items to look at when I'm showing a client a franchise. Well, yeah, well, item 20 is important if it's a, if it's a franchise company that's been around for a couple of years. But item 20 for startups is going to show zeros, except for maybe company-owned stores. So... It's true if you have a mature franchise, item 20 is very important. There's no question. How many are in the system? How many left? How many were terminated? And that's really important when it's a mature franchise company. When you have a startup, and I do a lot of startups, you have a lot of zeros except for, you know, if they have company-owned units. Right. I, so these and, existing franchise. Go ahead. And I think what's even – and, and if, if, you're, if you're buying a franchise, even more important than item 20 is if they have an item 19 – which is a earnings claim, which tells them how much money other locations that are owned, and it could be company-owned, have been doing. So that's probably a better indication if you're interested in buying a franchise is to look and see if they have an item 19. Okay, and and so when you have these existing franchisors that have been in business, as you said, you know, two to five years, and and we're we're looking at the brand. You know, what, what sorts of um, things are you looking for? Uh, what kind of percentages are we looking for in attrition rate, for example, in item 20? Um, what, what kind of things uh, do they want to avoid or stay away from for those watching the show that are looking at FTDs right now? Well, I mean, if, if item 20 shows a, a, a huge decline in franchises year over year, and you only have to go back three years in item 20, and, th- and that's going to raise a red flag. I mean, look. It's, it, unless you're buying a McDonald's, a Dunkin' Donuts, or one of the big guys where they have attrition. I mean, Subway loses franchisees hundreds in a year. You, you kind of discount those big ones. But the smaller systems, if they're losing five and ten a year, then that's something to scratch your head about and wonder why. You know, if they're losing one or two, that's not a big deal. So what should the attrition rate be? I mean, or what's well, a reasonable idea, attrition? I, well, you know, there's a couple. Somebody sells, so there's a transfer. Uh, somebody, you know, fails. Look, there are failures. Not, not every franchisee makes makes money and, and stays in business. So there will be failures. But there also are always transfers. People want to sell. They want to get their money out. Um, there are different. There are different. Uh, you know, categories in item twenty. 
termination right. is one and transfer is another one. Um, some people, you know, they they want to they want to go and do something else, and they sell and they want to get out. Right. So it's important to differentiate between uh, the transitions or the transfers uh, versus the the terminations yes. um, or reacquisitions from the, the franchisor. Right. Absolutely. All right. And on that note, we will, as Ray normally says, pay the bills. I uh, want to thank the Link Local Network for broadcasting the show. Uh, to the people at PillarsOfFranchising.com, uh, I see you all hanging out there, so you can chat with me and we'll get your message, your questions answered. Uh, you can dial in at 323-580-5755 if you'd like to ask questions verbally as opposed to text. And now a word from our first sponsor. Hey, franchise owners. How is your local marketing Do you feel like you could use some help keeping up with your social media posts and comments and reviews? Do you wonder if you could be doing more to attract local customers? Are you able to identify new move-ins to your local area? At Westvine, we help franchisees like you reach more local customers through digital marketing. With daily monitoring, creative content and ad placement, and customer data intelligence, We'll get your business in front of the people who want your products or services. We also work with franchisors who need an agency to handle the digital marketing for all of their locations. If you're ready to reach more local customers, give us a call at 805-265-5440 or visit us at westvine.com. That's 805-265-5440 or westvine.com. Thanks, Michelle. Ray, back to you. Sure. Harold, uh, I have, yes. I'm a little bit curious. Uh, yes. How do you recommend that a new franchisor market their product? Uh, you know, there's a number of ways. One way is to hire an outside broker network to do the actual marketing for you. If you choose to do it internally, uh, as I said earlier, social media has been working very well for a lot of my clients. Um, they, they spend the money that way. Have a very good website. Make sure the website is very interactive. Uh, franchisors, you know, do very well with their websites. People are looking for different brands. They wind up on their website. That's going to sell you. So you really need to have a great website. Mm. Yeah, well, that's pretty important. Just Sorry, the magic word was said. Oh. <laughs> Marketing. All right, I've got one for you. So, so on item 19, obviously, um, you know, I've looked at not near like you have, but probably a couple hundred FTDs, and and you know, everyone kind of puts that together in in what is uh, obviously the best light their franchise store. Uh, now, I've seen a lot of people use Quartile, and of course. They have stipulations for why certain franchises are not included in the in those quartiles, such as they have not um, been in business for two years, or they um, they consider them a part time owner because mm-hmm. um, they're they're not at the numbers and levels that they consider a full time owner. And it, to me, that seems to skew these numbers somewhat. What, what's your take on all of that? Well, you, look, I, you, you're permitted to have subgroups and. And, and you can you can have first of all you need to be in order to use an item 19 for any locations they have to be open at least a year 
because that's a reasonable basis. If you want to say that the units that we're going to show have to be have open been open for two years, you can certainly do that with a footnote saying that the only number the only units we're showing are units that have been open for two years or more. There's there's nothing wrong with that. Um, in fact, that's probably more accurate than somebody who just starts out and has been open for a year. Two years is probably better than one year if 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 you want some accuracy. Good. So what about when, when somebody's looking at what would you advise me to tell my clients and, and some of the rest of the brokers out there that are, are looking at franchise disclosure documents, they see an item 19 and they go only 50% of the franchisees are included in the quartiles. Is that, is that something, is that a red flag or is that just, um, you know, glossing up the numbers or is that just something you see a lot when you're developing? This? You know, it, de- it depends on the company. You know, some of them don't have that many, and they they have to. For example, if if you have if you're starting out, and you have no franchisees, you have to put in all your company units if they've been open for if it's two years. Then if you have ten company units that have been open for two years or more, you have to put all of them in. You can't cherry pick. You can't pick and choose. So if if that were the case, you'd have to use all ten stores if they've been open for two years or more. Um, you know what? It it really depends on the company and how mature they are. So um, you not, from what I understand, you not only do you have to uh, abide by federal law, but you also have to abide by every state law that you're in? No, well, the federal law covers all 50 states, but 15 states have their own laws. And, and you register in those states, and, and certain examiners will tell you you can't do this, you can't do that, and, and it, it gets a little restrictive for that particular state. So if you don't go into any registration states, you still have the federal rule to deal with. Okay, so California is one of those states, isn't it? It is, and so That's is New York. Thought. Yep. <laughs> Actually, California was the first state to have a state registration law back okay. in 1971. Wisconsin and Minnesota? They are, yes. That's what I thought. Those are the three and states so you Illinois. can download. A... Ah, C. Ray, you got it too. <laughs> yeah, I, I do have a quick question for Harold. Uh, sure. I, I listen to some uh, business radio, and, and there, you'll you'll hear an advertisement for a particular franchise. But at the end, they say this is not an offer for a franchise. What? Have you well, just listen to the offer. <laughs> that that's because some states ask you to say that an offering can only be made by prospectus, which is the FDD. So a lot of the ads, particularly if they, if in New York, where you have to do that. So if it's an ad that's, that, that emanates out of New York or, or hits New York, they have to put that at the bottom. That's what that means. Uh, okay. It, it just seems kind of crazy. You just listen to this offer, and then they say, it's, right. well, it's not an offer. <laughs> right. It's not really an offer. You have to read the, uh, the FDD. That's an offer. <laughs> the FDD is an offer? Oh, Lord. So, how how does uh, employee law, laws uh, how do I guess what I'm asking is from a normal business and a franchisee are different how with respect to employees the legal uh, rights responsibilities of employees there was a last year I thought it was a year before what about the, are you are you going to the joint employment issue. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. Well, well, you know, it's, it, all of a sudden, the, the the Department of Labor has issued 
a a a a, a pronouncement the other day, actually Monday, where they've now made it very clear what what co- would constitute a joint employer. So, in other words, using the franchise model, if a franchisee's employees sue the franchisee for wage hourly dis, um, uh, wages or or sexual harassment, they can't sue the franchisor unless the franchisor had some control over the franchisee's employees or over the franchisee. Like if they did, if they dictated um, salaries or firing and hiring or, or got involved in the books and records of the franchisee, if they don't do that, then the franchisor would not be liable. Now, two years – now, before – uh, President Trump came into into office. The Obama administration made it made it very very general, and almost anything grabbed the franchisor. Even if they showed in the manual, they gave you. We recommend that you do this. That was enough. Now that's changed, and and the Labor Department I think is going to issue this pronouncement in, in 60 days. And once they do that, you won't see joint employment issues come up anymore. <laughs> that makes me laughing. Wouldn't they, they they would tag their all their advertisements as each individual unit is, or each unit is individually owned and operated. Correct? That's right. That's correct. And 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 that's always been like that. So that when people walk in and if they and in the old McDonald's case where they drink coffee, hot coffee, and they burn their mouth, they're only going to sue the franchisee because the franchisor had nothing to do with that. Right. That's different. That's called vicarious liability. And it makes a lot of sense because, you know, in in the marketing world, you don't have to play the, the thing, Fred. Uh, a lot of times people will confuse me with another franchise, and, you know, sometimes we take the, uh, the hits uh, on uh, uh, social media for another franchise. So it's very important, even even if that law, you know, didn't, uh, you know, even though it wasn't that type of liability to the franchisor, it's still important to differentiate between each of the individual owners of the franchise. That's right. So what, uh, can you give any, cite any examples of franchisors that um, the way they're structured would get hit by um, because of the way they're, employee dictates are uh, do you know of any that would get mm-hmm. hit or not no because every franchisor now has 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 been made aware over the last two years and and it all started with a mcdonald's case two years ago uh yeah yeah right so every franchisor now is protecting themselves by changing their ops manuals to say that we no longer dictate anything like wage and hours or or how you fire and how you how you treat your employees Everything now is go do it yourself and have your own labor lawyer handle it. We don't want to. We don't want to tell you anything when it comes to employers, employees. That's what's going on. Yeah. Wow. Yep. It's hands oh. off. Just like a non-franchisee. Hmm. Right. Nice. Ray, what's your question? Well, what type of uh, uh, Harold? What type of franchises do you see as being the most popular with uh, potential franchisors, franchisees? Well, you know, traditionally, and if you look at the statistics, 
there are more restaurant franchises than anything else. And that's always been popular. Uh, but restaurant business is a tough business. They don't, they don't always make money and they, they're not always successful. What I'm seeing a lot more of lately are the home-based businesses where the investment is significantly lower uh, and more people are able to get into the home-based business uh, industry, no matter what kind, uh, because of the, 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 the lower amount of money involved. Let's face it, there isn't a restaurant that I could think of that, you, you, that will cost you less than $200,000 to open, no matter how you slice and dice it. And then they, you know, can be as, as high as a million or a two million. Uh, home-based businesses, if you took away the franchise fee, you could probably get into a home-based business for twenty grand. Yeah. It's very inexpensive yeah. to operate from your home, and and I see a lot of those being very popular. You're right. They're easy and they're easy to get into, easy to uh, manage. Yeah. Uh, I know my dad was a restaurateur, and uh, there's a lot of headaches involved in that. But I, I tried to stay away from the food industry myself. It's it's a it's you know the, the rewards are high, but the, but the, the effort is high. Mm-hmm. Yep. So Harold, let Very me ask true. you this question. You obviously have worked with you know an enormous amount of franchisors. What are some of? I mean, do you, do you first of all, I'm assuming you support them ongoing in any legal battles that they may have. Is that correct? I, I do. Uh, that was that was my that's my monthly retainer program. Right. So with that thought, what what are some of the um, the cases that you encountered and some of the things that we can tell the franchisors out there uh, to do to protect themselves um, and and what have you done about uh, of those cases? Well, if, you, if you're talking about potential litigation, there are t- mo- many of the franchisee litigation stem from the actual sales process, okay? And, and what's said during the sales process. And franchisors need to be made aware, and, and if they're selling it themselves, it's a lot easier. Stay within the bounds of the FDD. Don't go telling people, you know, oh, you know, you can make X amount of dollars. You know, we have the greatest franchise in the world, and you can make millions. Those are where lawsuits come from in, in the inception. For ongoing, when a franchisee fails, he's going to point a finger at the franchisor. And, and what I tell my clients is make sure every franchisee has their own file, you document everything you do for the franchisees, every visit, every phone call, every email, so they can't turn around and say, you didn't support me. Well, yeah, we did support you. Take a look. Here's your file. It's 10 inches thick. We've made X amount of visits. We've been there. You, you failed because you can't operate, not because we didn't do our job. I had I had someone today, a franchisor, tell me if, if you think of franchising, although the failure rate is significantly lower than a traditional startup, it's still like thinking of it as a gym membership. You know, you're all going into the gym and you're paying the same amount of money, but the amount that you uh, you, you can't guarantee the results of everyone. Everyone goes in with a different um, a different set of effort and skill sets, and they come out with different results. That's right. Absolutely right. That's a fantastic analogy. I like that. That's very good. Because I, I know I, I personally talked to uh, some franchise owners that were having some problems, and I'd ask, well, what did the franchise recommend? And they would tell me, and i said, well, are you doing that? And they said, no, they're full of it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> so, well, <laughs> you know, 
they ultimately fail, and they wonder why. And there's the reason. Well, that's right. And and when a franchisee is so myopic that they think they know everything, they're going to fail. Because if the reason you buy a franchise is because the franchisor is there to train you. You know, you're in business not by yourself, okay? I mean, that's what Red Clark used to say. You buy a franchise to be in bed with the, fran- the franchisee and the franchisor are partners. And if you're so stubborn as a franchisee that you don't want to listen to the advice of the franchisor, then you know what? If you fail, don't don't go pointing fingers at anybody. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's the reason you buy a franchise. They're, they're that's right. They're hard work for you, you know, the marketing, they, they, the, the they, logo. They have laid the groundwork for you. They've done all the things. They've 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 gone. You know they got the they've gotten the kinks out. They've done the things that you would do if you were doing it yourself. And now they're handing it to you, and you operate the way we tell you to operate, and you'll succeed. But if you deviate, you may not succeed. Okay. What do you do? You assist franchisors when a franchisee comes in and they want to negotiate terms in the contract. Well, yeah, that's. That's that's included in my monthly retainer, right? All of that is done. Right. They, they don't pay extra for that, and we and we also prepare the agreements for them. So, do you see a lot of amendments go through to franchise agreements, or uh, is that typically frowned upon? That no, that that the answer to that question is depends on the maturity of the franchisor. If the franchisor okay. is starting up, the chances of negotiation are great. And usually the first year or two, they'll be negotiating just about every contract. Once they have 25 or 30 franchisees, then they turn around and say, we're not changing anything. That's just the way it is. They want to get a few on the board, and once they get a few on the board, they could be a little more independent. Well, that's great advice. Um, hey, so, Fred, do you need to pay some bills? Yes, we do, Holly. Uh, Ray was going to cut you off if you didn't say that. So remind everyone they can call in and ask questions at 323-580-5755. That's 323-580-5755. He says in his best radio voice. Also, reminder that all those people that I can see hanging out on the Toyota's of Franchising website, you can open a chat message and a chat window and we'll answer the questions uh, or ask the questions and get answers for you. And now a word from another sponsor. Are you thinking about opening a business? Whether you're in transition from a corporate job, looking to generate investment income, add to your existing business, or just too young to retire, come to the Great American Franchise Expo and explore your options. Meet face-to-face with dozens of franchise executives representing dozens of quality brands. A wide range of price points and ownership models are available. Attend our free seminars on accounting, real estate, and marketing. Franchise law experts will be there to answer your questions, and banks are on hand to discuss loans and financing. The first 100 attendees will receive free VR goggles. For free tickets, visit www.franexpousa.com. The Great American Franchise Expo, coming to a city near you in 2019. Check our website for schedules. And as a quick note, the next Great American Franchise Expo is April 13th and 14th in Charlotte, at the Charlotte Convention Center in Charlotte. Uh, the one after that is May 18th and 19th in Atlanta at Cobb Galleria. So, Harold. Yes. How do people get a hold of you? 
my website, uh, referrals, um, LinkedIn. I mean, I try to be as many places as I can. It's, it, I, I get a lot of my business from referrals. Uh, I don't do. I do a couple of trade shows a year, but uh, I, I get I get a, a significant amount of, of hits to my website. This is, so what is your website? Uh, oh, good question. Uh, it's it's <laughs> www.franchiseaty.com. Ooh, you got the franchise word in there. Awesome. I did. Yeah, that's fantastic. Ray, what's your question? Well, I'm, I'm thinking uh, hypothetically I have this uh, concept and uh, I'm working it on my own and maybe uh, uh, it's doing well, and I thought, wow, maybe this is something I should franchise. What do you think uh, I should be doing first? Well, first of all, make sure you're making money because franchise guys, people who want to franchise and they have a business and it's losing money, you can bet that they're not going to be a successful franchisor because if they can't make money, the franchisees aren't going to make money. So if your business makes money, and it's something that you think can be duplicated, and it's something that anybody just can't go in and do. And, and I'll give you an example. Uh, uh, maybe seven or eight years ago, there was a huge influx of self-serve yogurts. There must have been 30 or 40 different brands of self-serve yogurts. Now there's two or three. The reason was getting the yogurt machine and having you put it in yourself was very easy, and people didn't need to be a franchise to do it. So self-serve yogurt stores went by the wayside. So make sure that in your business, it's something that just anybody just can't go ahead and do because if that's the case, barrier to entry is very important. If anybody could get into the business, why should they buy your franchise and pay you a royalty? So hopefully the business you're thinking about is something that's a little bit unique, something that can be duplicated, and then maybe have something. That's interesting. I know one of those owners. <laughs> but, <laughs> I bet you do. Uh, uh, he had two stores, and uh, his biggest problem was now, what do I do with all this equipment? <laughs> you know, he has to get rid of it. Yep. So, oh. Fred. Yes, Ray. No, I was going to let Holly go. All right. <laughs> we play this game. Um, like, who's on first? So, Harold, I have a really um, probably just one last question. And, and I see, you know, a huge, huge disparity between franchise stores in terms of their royalties and their advertising fees. You know, what, what's a good standard that, that my clients and, and those out there that are looking to buy a franchisee, um, what's, what's the range of a, uh, a good royalty fee? And, and can you just tell our audience briefly what, what they're getting for, for that, that fee? The the royalties across the board that I that and, and I'm, uh, you can't get every industry in the same pigeonhole, but it's between five and six percent. You may get you may see a seven percent sometimes, but not likely. Um, five and six is probably the norm, plus an advertising and marketing fee. Uh, what do they get? Well, you know you get the use of the brand, you get ongoing support, um, you get you know refresher training. You get the website, you get all the intellectual property, and you have support. And it's usually 24-hour support from the franchisor. Uh, 
and that's what you're paying the 6% or 5% for. Uh, you know, in some franchisors, you buy a product from them. It depends on what kind of business it is. You know, in the food business, you could be buying the secret sauce or whatever it is. Um, so there are, you know, there are many things that the franchisor provides to franchisees. You know, some franchisees, what do you do for me? Well, they do more than you think. Um, and, and the ones that don't do anything are the ones that don't make it um, and don't have a lot of franchisees out there. Because, quite frankly, franchisees talk to one another, and if you're buying a franchise and you start calling around, and the, the, the key questions are, if you had it to do all over again, would you buy this franchise? Or the other question is, would you buy a second one? And if those two answers are in the affirmative, then you know you have something. If the franchisee says, I wouldn't buy this again if you paid me, or I would never open a second unit, it's time to look for something else. That's, so wait. that's great advice. Thank you. So wait, you're saying you should go through the FDD and yeah. contact franchisees. That's correct, because if, if they're not a brand new and they have and they have some franchisees, you have to call every single one. You have Did to Ray do pay diligence. you to say that? Did Ray is pay who? you to say that? Did no, Ray, Ray pay you? No. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is the franchisee, the person who wants to buy a franchise, needs to do his due diligence or her due diligence. And if there's a list of franchisees, you have to call them. If you don't, then shame on you. Right. I yep. just wanted yep. to make right. sure Ray didn't tell you to pay you to say that because that's what he keeps telling yep. me. Okay, so right. I have a question even, for you. you. Even call the ones who are no longer in business. Yes, you know, and, 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 and item 20, you're supposed to include those franchisees who left the system within the last calendar year. Yep, yep. You find out a lot that way. You bet you do. So That's great advice. Um, I was um, so. I guess my the, my question is is um, how important or is it required that you trademark your name? Well, it's very important. If you, you you need to make sure that whatever intellectual property or trademark you want can be registered, because if it's not, then anybody could open up across the street with the same name. So if you don't have the name and you don't own the name. Okay, you need to have a registered mark. So you're, what you're saying is somebody could um, come in and, and screw you, but it's not a legal requirement to do a franchise to have a trademark. It's not a legal requirement, but if, if, okay. if, if, you're, if you're buying a franchise and they don't have a federal mark or at least they applied for one, I would think twice about it. Yeah. All right. I just want to clarify, at one point I was told you had to trademark it, and then other stuff I saw said you don't, but you should. And since we have an obvious expert here, I want to make sure I clarified that. It's not a requirement. A lot of companies can't get their mark registered because it's too generic or it's, 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 it's too descriptive. And unless they change it, they're not going to get it registered. You can use it. But that doesn't mean somebody else couldn't take it, you know, and steal it. What do you mean too descriptive? Um, if, if the mark is um, uh, the pizza store, you could never get that registered. Okay. All right. That I think that makes sense. 
Anybody else have questions? Why wouldn't you want to trademark your brand? That's, oh, that's no, you wouldn't. No, no. You, it's go- critical. Yeah, the goal is to do it. But but some right. I have a client now who, who's just found out that they can't trademark their name. They have to change the name. And if they're, if they're so in love with it, they're going to have to be un, un- in love with it because otherwise it's it, they're not going to go anywhere if they can't get it registered. Mm-hmm. So so your advice would be to people that are looking as as Ray's question was earlier, just you know, piggybacking on that. So they, you know they're getting ready, they're preparing their business. They they maybe they're profitable. They've got a strong um, strong strong margin. They they have a good concept. It's unique. Um, and you'd say probably right off the get go, make sure that your brand is protected before you you get it out there. That's right, and you could you could do it. You could do a search on the federal register by just going into the USPTO and type in the name that you want to register, and you could find out if somebody else has it before you. It's very easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, sometimes learning that never mind. Sometimes it causes hassle, doesn't it? I think yes. there's a backstory <laughs> to this, Fred. <laughs> Yeah, well, there's a reason we did a name change recently, but that's okay. We won't go into that. Different show, different show. All right. So, Ray, what's your last question for Harold? Come on. Uh, what's your my, normal last question question? Is, my normal last question. Uh, besides the fact that we, yeah, I think he should give us his information again, but uh, any last advice do you have for franchisors and franchisees? You know what? Franchisors need to hire an experienced franchise lawyer when they get started. Franchisees have to do the same. They have to find lawyers who have done franchisee work and have read FDDs before and not hire their cousin who's a matrimonial lawyer or or a negligence lawyer. (laughs) So how do they find a good attorney, Harold? Well, look look me up. (laughs) They'll find me. All right. All right, for that answer... Somebody finally answered that question correctly rather than giving us generalities. So some applause. (laughs) You'd be amazed how many people don't say that when asked that question. So good job, Errol. Thank you. Holly, you got any last questions? You know, I I just want to make a comment. Harold, you are – uh, as sophisticated as your your bio has shown, you know you have answered all of these questions, you know beautifully. You've given great advice to our franchisors and franchisees, and you know my comment is having uh, worked with several uh, franchise attorneys that I would highly recommend you to any of my clients um, that are looking to franchise their business. So thank you for your time. Well, I appreciate that. That is wonderful. I I really do. Thank you. Who do you recommend for pizza? Uh, Rascal House. Really? <laughs> mm. Really? Okay. Well then, Ray. Right who should we talk to next? Oh well, gee, that must be uh, someone uh, who has a, a, a deep integration into uh, Rascal House Pizza. And who would that be, Ray? That would be uh, Nico Frangos. How you doing, Nico? I'm doing great, guys. I'm doing very good. Thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm leaving, Fred. All righty. Harold, nice hearing you. Nice hearing you speak, Harold. Take care. So, Nico, the 
first two questions everyone has to answer is where are you and what's the weather like? And then we'll talk pizza. You got it. Um, I am in uh, beautiful Cleveland, Ohio, and uh, the weather is like uh, a little cr- cloudy, overcasty. Uh, we had a little sun. It was a little bit warmer earlier. It's getting cooler now. It's exactly what Cleveland's all about. You could pretty much say that all year long, that same statement. <laughs> but uh, but it's good. Things are good here in Cleveland. Weather not so good, but uh, you know, I guess that, that's what allows us to work hard over here. We, we don't we don't have too much time outside. We're we're just working. It's Ray weather. That's what I call Ray weather. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Chicago uh, or Illinois, uh, they're they're a uh, carbon copy of Cleveland when it comes to the yeah. weather. There's yeah. a reason why I'm in California now. Yeah. Well, but we have a we, well, we do I, have I, a nice I, lake, a lake, a lake, lake. Uh, Illinois and, uh, yeah, we, and we, Cleveland we, we have a nice lakeside. Yeah. Uh huh. So if yeah, I will just let that stand, and I won't make comment about the Pacific or anything like this. Holly, <laughs> you got a question for Nico? <laughs> I do. I've got a question. Let's transition because um, I I like that. I like closure. So. As a franchisor, and you listened to that discussion that we just had with Harold, which I thought was fantastic. Um, what, are, what are some of your initial comments um, and thoughts from from that interview? Um, well, I mean, I, I work with Harold, so um, I would summarize uh, really all of it by saying, you know, he, he's very direct, uh, very succinct in what he's saying. Um, and, uh, that's one of the reasons why I enjoy working with him. He, he pretty much knows his stuff. So, uh, at the end of the day, it's a very complex and, and there's a lot of moving parts when it comes to franchising and, um, and the relationships that need to be had. But I think Harold kind of cuts to the chase, um, pretty quickly. Uh, you know, um, as you guys have all probably talked to different people in franchising, um, you know, some people I, I think can can summarize things really well and, and his years of experience sort of show he can do it really well. So, uh, and he knows his stuff. So, so I, I, I give him a high five when it comes to, uh, you know, being able to be able to, you know, talk, talk to business and get right to the main point. So yeah, he did a great job and uh, you guys asked, asked some great questions. You're saying a lawyer doesn't spend, he does, as a lawyer, he doesn't spend a lot of time running the clock up by talking, man. That, no, Harold's no. Harold the absolute opposite of that. He's the absolute opposite wow. of spending a lot of time talking. I think I just found a new lawyer. Wow, isn't that wow? <laughs> <laughs> I love this show. Go ahead, Ray. So uh, tell, tell us about how in the world did you ever get involved with pizza, Nico? Well, um, my my parents started the company um, in, in 1980. I was a little bit younger back then, um, but uh, – they they started this business back in back in the day, and uh, you know uh, I, I by virtue of being uh, one of their kids, you know I I was a part of the business. Uh, that's what Greek ethnic you know families do. You know you're just uh, immediately uh, another another pair of hands to help execute. <laughs> but uh, but um, no, I, you know it, it was a. Uh, a business that they started and um, my parents were in food. My dad was always in food. My grandfather was in food, um, you know, uh, immigrant uh, got into food when he came over. My, my dad 
grew up in it as well. And I think he uh, really caught, caught the bug seeing the, the birth of the McDonald's and guys that were sort of organizing things and, and, um, and really turning, you know, a business into something that's duplicatable and scalable. And, you know, and I think my dad, you know, sort of caught that bug. So he kind of went from the McDonald's days to starting his own concepts and really took what he learned there and, and tried to implement that stuff operationally into his businesses. So, um, you know, and then that sort of birthed ultimately what we have now with Rascal House is a lot of his uh, multiple experiences and different things. Um, and, uh, you know, my, my introduction into it, uh, obviously I was a lot younger in 80, um, much younger. So I wasn't really a, you know, behind, behind the scenes person up until you know, a, a handful of years later. But, um, you know, my, my, my transition really, I mean, I'll, I, it, it's a very long story, but I'll make it somewhat short. Um, I, I, I moved to Los Angeles in 90 to pursue film and art and, and, uh, you know, I, I did really well out there. And I would always stay connected to my dad, who always had a passion to sort of drive this business. Um, and um, so we would we would talk about business, we would talk about marketing, we would talk about how to grow things. Uh, I worked for Disney for many years, um, and a, a really huge company, big projects. Um, and the thing that intrigued him, and we would always come back to these things, is you know how do they organize what they do? How do they you know work at such a large scale uh, with thousands of people? And and so we'd always have these conversations. So as he sort of started to grow the brand with getting some folks in that were, I, I call them organic franchisees. These are guys that, uh, you know, started as crew members. They wanted to do more. They became an assistant manager, became a manager. And then my dad opened up a couple locations uh, corporately and they said, Hey, we want more. And then he found a pathway for them to ultimately become owners. They'd save some money. Um, and he, and he plugged them into uh, some of those corporate stores. Um, and the neat thing for me in, in terms of talking to him and being a part of that, I wasn't necessarily directly involved back at that time, but I was able to sort of see his desire to grow. Um, and then it wasn't until really a, a handful of years ago, about eight, eight or nine years ago, where I came back to I would come back and forth often, but I, I came back into, into town. Um, and, you know, we sat around the table with a couple of these folks that, that were, you know, being mentored by him. Uh, one of them had subsequently become an owner. Um, uh, and it was just powerful to me to hear the story of somebody that was an immigrant himself, young, came to the States, uh, went to college, you know, uh, in town, didn't know what they were going to do. They wanted to be a, uh, you know, an engineer. They, they were thinking they were going to be an, an engineer. Um, and, and then hearing their story about how, they didn't really know what they were going to do here. They found this vehicle, were shown how to do it, and then, you know, had, had really changed the course of their lives financially and, and everything else. Um, you know, doing financially well, uh, stores were making great money, and, and they, they, these guys really, you know, uh, their lives were changed forever. And, you know, they're sending money home to their folks, taking care of their kids. Um, and it was a powerful thing for me to be in on that meeting because, the light bulb sort of went off in my mind that, you know, I understood franchise franchising in a, you know, in, in the way that probably most people do, you know, you, you help somebody, they start a business and they, they do well too. But, but to really have a vehicle where you get somebody uh, that, you know, can, can really have a life changing experience financially and everything else, you know, to me became a, that's the ultimate win-win. You know, if, if you have something that someone can plug into, um, and they do well, then that's really the only way when it's done right that you also as a franchisor do well, right? So, um, so 
just to sort of shorten the story here, you know, ultimately that sort of resonated with me uh, being in film. It was, it's not about developing other people. It's not about how do I show somebody how to get a project and, you know, sell somebody and become great at, at uh, selling the next project to ESPN or whatever, you know, that's not what film was about. It's about, it's sort of dog eat dog. But the thing that I really loved about what, what I saw there when I came into town was this really is something that if, 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 if the only way that you can win is helping other people, uh, that's a great, great place to be because you now have a team and a, and a family that, you know, uh, when you're successful, you can look back and go, look, look at all these people that we've changed our lives. And, and, and by doing so, you know, we're in a great spot too. So that's sort of my story about kind of coming back into our brand and, and getting back into food. I, although I did grow up in it, I made a lot of pizzas. I made a lot of food. You know, I was behind the counter for many hours over the summers. Um, my real forte coming back into it was really developing a team of people to champion uh, the next phase of our, our growth. Wow. That's a great story. All right. You said the M That's word quite in a story. Great answer. So, yeah, I was going to say, nice. you, you got a double applause there. Go ahead, Holly. All right. Thank you. Yeah, no, Ray, that's fantastic. I, um, I, you've sold me. Um, but let's tell, let's tell everybody else. Tell, tell us about your franchise. Tell us why. What's unique about Rascal House? Why, why do our clients up there, why do the, the looking at franchises, why do they want your business? And how many units do you have? Give us some numbers. Um, what's your item 19 look like? Can you give us a picture, please? Sure, absolutely. Um, I'll start with the, the more uh, just technical stuff. Um, you know, we have five units right now. Um, one of them is corporate and four are franchisees. Um, our, uh, we have actually, the system has been around a little while, so we've been around for 40 years. We're going into our 40th, 40th year. So uh, we're a mature brand, um, and, uh, you know, but really kind of getting started in a lot of ways in the, in the franchising space in a much broader way. So, um, you know, our, our, the couple stores that were, were truly our models going forward um, those stores uh, in our item 19 are $2 million in sales and 1.7. Um, another is a 1.5. Uh, another is at a million. And then we have one which is a much older store that we won't be duplicating much of any – well, we won't be doing, duplicating anymore, but um, that, that's at about a 600000 So our average units are about 1.4 if you blend them all together. But the two stores that are truly our models by, by their – you know, their footprint, their, you know, demographics, where they're going to be, you know, positioned in, in, a, in a different city. You know, those, those are the two stores that we're kind of modeling are the, the two higher volume ones, just, just for all the reasons why I'll get into as to why um, I think those stores are, again, our, our sort of unique point. Um, but um, so that's a little bit about our R19. Um, uh, right. As far as uh, why we're unique, um, you know, a lot of people ask that question, and it's it's it's, an, it's a really an important question because there is tons of restaurant saturation. Um, there's all kinds of pizza saturation out there. You know, I mean, we've seen the, um, I, I like to say, you know, the flavor of the month pizza, which are the, you know, Chipotle of pizzas, if you will. There's, you know, 50 different brands, right? And we've seen that happen with the yogurts that Harold was talking about, right? There's 900 concepts, and all of a sudden there's three. So I, I think we're seeing that emergence happen even in that space. But, but anyways, long story short there, um, you know, what makes us unique truly is that um, we're an elevated fast food restaurant um, that has pizza as our core. 
But beyond that, there's a couple things that, you know, when you look at who is the customer that we kind of go at, there's really nobody in the space doing what we do with the core offerings that we have. So we're, we're really America's favorite foods. If you look at our, our diversity of menu, it's uh, a, an elevated burger. And I don't mean a high-end burger. I just mean an elevated fast food burger. So we're not a dollar menu place at all. We're not the cheapest pizza. We're not the cheapest anything. Although we are fast food, um, in our makeup, we're, we're, we're an elevated fast food. So, you know, we have wings, we have burgers, we have chicken sandwiches, we have great salads. So we have a, an offering that I think is very complimentary to stuff that never goes out of style. Um, so, so that's mm-hmm. really kind of where we start from a food place. But, but really what makes us unique is we have a, a, a catering arm. Um, and I don't mean, again, catering. When people hear that word, there's a lot of different ideas. There's, there's chafing dishes. Mm-hmm. And there's all this. I mean, and then we all know. I mean, if you guys have been on earth for more than a minute in the last couple of years, everybody's a caterer. You know, Chipotle is a caterer, right? They have catering and everybody's got catering. But, but truly, we've, we've done a great job, and it hasn't been overnight, and it hasn't been we just thought about it because everybody else thought about it, and catering is a big buzzword. You know, for us, we've built a business around it for 40 years. Uh, and really what that right. means is just, to, again, let me put some numbers to it. Let's, let's talk about our, our $2 million store for a second, um, and, because the numbers are roughly the same when you sort of divvy up uh, the, the, you know, the percentages. So 50 right. to 60% of our volume is delivered out. So, um, mm. but, but the key is half of that volume, so let's call it a million bucks just to simplify the number. Half of that volume, though, is pure catering. And, and, you know, so, so wow. coming out of the box, you're talking about, you know, four or five, six hundred thousand dollars of catering, which means high tickets, about $200 average ticket. And, and, you know, and, and that's a, that's a really powerful thing. But the key is now is, is, you know, how, how do we do it? Cause that's really where the unique part is, you know, how do we do it as a brand and why don't other people do that in that space? Um, you know, there are a lot of people cater, you know, so like I'll, I'll talk about Chipotle for a second. Um, you know, who, who's the customer is really what I, I talk about when it comes to our unique, unique spot. Um, so you look, at, you look at a brand like a Chipotle um, and you kind of go, okay, well, that's an elevated product um, to some degree. It has an affordability proposition, but it's very susceptible to the veto vote. So if you have, you know, again, let's talk about this customer. You go into a, you know, where our, our demos are, a white collar density is really key. The dense day part, you know, hospitals, universities, and 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 colleges, things like that. That's kind of where we want to be. So who's that customer? You have this guy or woman that's going to be ordering an office for thirty or forty people, right? What's their pain point? Their pain point is I might have a budget. Um, I you know need to find something that's easy because it's not my core job. I'm not sitting around ordering food all day long. I'm just doing this to get the job done for the group of 40 or 50 that are coming. Um, and, you know, I, I just want to know that it's going to be here and it's going to show up and I don't have any issues. So, so where's that go to for that person? Uh, okay. You look at Chipotle for a second. Well, the veto vote says maybe not everybody wants a burrito. So 40 people, eh, I don't know if I can do that. Okay. You can go to like a Morton's mm-hmm. or some steakhouse or Outback or whatever you want, but now it's kind of like, well, does, does, you know, Holly want, I don't know if she likes capers or, you know, maybe we shouldn't do the sauce and that's this way and that way. And, oh, are they going to bring plates and are we going to have enough utensils? So, so mm-hmm. that becomes a whole nother project. So, again, thinking through the mind of this person, you don't want to complicate their process. So for us, 
uh, on the other side of it, you know, you go, okay, well, cheap, easy, McDonald's, they have variety, Domino's has variety, you know, and again, they're, they're, people think they're our competitors, but on, on a lot of ways they're not, um, you know, but you're not going to get that product because you're not going to put it in a boardroom with 40 people because the presentation isn't there, uh, the perception of quality and value is, is too diminished to have that type of stuff in a room, so it kicks those guys out. So what's left? I mean, really nobody. I mean, I, I ask this. I talk right. to people all the time, and I ask them this question: Who, who, do you, who would you call? Right. And when you get to know our brand, when people start to understand our brand, I mean, I can tell you who people call in Cleveland, or you know, places where our stores, they call us because we're the only people that do that and do it well. And and here's that's, and here's how. That's awesome. You know, that definitely the, raises the, your margins, doesn't it? it? It's it's just great all all the way around because it's easy to produce. Um, and we're designed for it. You know, like even if someone wanted to get into the space, the competitor said, hey, you know, that makes sense. Let's do that. Their, their packaging isn't designed for it. Their POS systems are not designed for it. Their ability to produce that type of, uh, you know, food in that fashion isn't designed for it. So, you know, you just don't hop into that business. You hop into it after 40 years, you know, of doing it. Right. So, so that's really but our, the 40, our unique 44 piece. billion dollar industry, isn't it? Pizza's a 44 billion dollar industry. Um, it's, it's, I think that's a, it's a fantastic opportunity. But margins typically, um, you know, really run low in in restaurants, as we know. Um, but you know, the volume's high, so you know they still make a good profit. But in pizza in general, you know, really looking good margins would be seven to ten percent. Um, can you share your margins with us, or is it something you want to just keep to yourself and wait till you would disclose someone? Well, you know, I, we don't necessarily disclose because that's a real variable, right? It's basically how you operate. Um, but, mm-hmm. but yeah, I would just tell you that that's a really low number, and I, I think if you're running those kind of margins, you're not running it well. <laughs> you know, um, our Excellent. guys well, are, 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 are not there. <laughs> you know, but, um, you know, Part of it is really, I guess, in it, again, it's it, it's volume to some degree. It's having good cost of goods, like our cost of goods, and, and people can work the numbers backwards from there. You know, our cost of goods are about thirty percent. You know, labor for a typical restaurant. Um, you know, people who are in that space know where that tends to sit. Um, so there's really no no magic to it. If you just know how to sort of extrapolate the numbers down, the margins are are actually very impressive. Um, and you know. The, aside from aside from even though the margins though it's really just again you look you look at sort of that space uh, of opportunity um, and you don't necessarily you know you look at a, a Domino's you look at people in that spaces and those guys are five hundred thousand dollar unit averages six hundred thousand and between your real estate and all the other fixed costs that's really where you kind of get crushed with other brands that are in the food space. Um, you know, because you're, again, when you're in food, yes, you're going to be 24% all in with your cost of goods. You might be 35% all in. But if you're only only grossing four or $500,000, which a lot of them do, you know, like a typical subway, they're very, very low gross sales uh, for the most part, right? Um, and, you know, it's no surprise, but you have to have five or six of them to, to actually produce real revenue. Uh, you know, or produce real income for you as an owner. So, you know, it, it just kind of depends on on the owner and what they want to get out of these things. But, um, you know, we, we're we're very happy to say that, you know, for the guys that we have in our system as franchisees, few of them have been there for a long time and have done really well, and there's a reason. 
you know, they're, they're doing well. You know, they've been around for a dozen years plus and they're happy as clams. So it's great. So you're in Cleveland now. Um, Are you looking to expand in Cleveland or what would be the top two or three cities you'd or geographic locations you'd want to expand in? Well, we have a, uh, a couple of phases of our expansion. It, it really, it's a national expansion, ultimately. Um, so, and what I mean by that is I'll pretty much talk to anybody that is the right person um, and consider uh, anywhere where, you know, uh, we're registered to, to be in. But, but really, our, our narrower focus is within the five states around Ohio. So Michigan, Indiana. Uh, Ohio, obviously, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania. Those are, are really right around our core. So, uh, and there's you know about 50 to 70 sort of locations that we've sort of identified that fit exactly what we you know believe is the right demos to to have a successful operation. And we've modeled that demo really kind of after the two highest volume stores here, which are again our priorities are you know central business district, high density, white collar population during the day, you know, hospitals, universities, uh, you know, the next piece for us is uh, like a blue collar factories and things like that. And then, and then the last thing really that we, we drive by is, is really our residential population, which in a lot of ways people sort of, you know, kind of question that. Um, but because it's so flipped from what a typical pizza place in, in essence does. Uh, but again, when you think about it from what I said earlier about the catering and how critical that component is, and it's a massively critical component to being able to build your business quickly because, again, think about that office of 40 or 50 or 80 or 100 people. Uh, not only are you getting that sale because of what we do, but you now just touched 40 or 50 people in one shot. And that's a great way to build your business right off the bat is you have an office of 40 or 50 people that had a meeting, but they're, they're going to eat tomorrow too. You might not have 50 people eating, but each of those individual people are going to eat tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And, and if we did our job well, which we do, there's a menu there. There's, you know, hey, I really didn't realize they had subs. I didn't realize they had burgers. Oh, wow, check it out. They have pasta, you know. And so you can build your business, again, because of our unique uh, our uniqueness, it allows you to sort of build that business quickly. So um, really our, expans- our expansion plans are in those core regions first, like the Detroits and, the, you know, the, the larger cities are really the, the slam dunks in my mind uh, that someone who's looking at our brand would want to really home in on. But, um, but really it's, it's again, to, to, to put it simply where I'm open to talking to anybody that's a great operator or who would be a good fit for our brand. And then, you know, and then we go from there. So you're almost like a business to business. Sorry, I'm, I'm thinking about this, and if you're talking about you like corporate, you like high-density white collar, you're almost like a business-to-business pizza-slash-food place. Yes? Um, that's a big piece of what we do, yeah. So people come in during the day, they grab a milkshake, they sit down, have a slice of pizza, and maybe a burger for, you know, in and out five minutes. And then when they go back to their office, we'll take care of 100 people there, too, for them. No problem. What are your what are your build outs look like? Um, are you what a class A, class B? What what kind of locations are you doing it? And do you have people to assist um, these new franchise franchisees coming on uh, to to find good locations? 
Yes. Um, so, so our build out is um, just a little bit about the space itself. It's a 2,500 square foot sweet spot that we have. Um, we do have a real estate policy, which kind of walks them through what to kind of look at and, you know, what we would support that. And obviously we have other, other third party partners that are in the, the real estate space that would sort of facilitate and they sort of know our, our standards and kind of what we look for. Um, there is a little bit of uniqueness in our real estate in the sense that because of our delivery model, we have in-house delivery and things like that. You don't necessarily need to be as sensitive to uh, a location, you know, that, that doesn't have that stuff because you can kind of get to mm-hmm. your customer in a different way. It doesn't necessarily um, hinder your ability to perform if you're not in a A-plus um, you know, uh, family or, or lifestyle center, you know, I mean, that's great if, if those, those deals can be negotiated well, but it's not going to cripple our business necessarily if, if that's not, you know, uh, available in a market. But um, so, right, so essentially the margins on those would affect you a lot. So I think that's fantastic. Yeah. So, so it gives, it gives our franchisees uh, a little bit of a, an opportunity there. So, um, but yeah, it's a 2,500 square foot box. Um, we have a whole tool kit, you know, a whole business in a box. Everything from our, you know, equipment package, our, you know, uh, smaller package, our front of the house, our millwork, you know, all that stuff's just defined. There's no thinking about it. It's, uh, you know, we want we want someone to come in and and just work on how to figure out, you know, how to grow their business and and operate that business at a very very high level. So, you know, we've taken a lot of that stuff away from them to even worry about and think about. So, um, you know, our, our team would come in there and really sort of support them off of a timeline, um, you know, and just, you know, business in a box. Essentially, here's our vendors, here's our, our stuff. You know, we're not affiliated with anybody, so it's just relationships that we have. We know what they, you know, equipment needs to be and which types of things and, and then away they go. So it's a pretty simplified process. You know, I know you guys have been around the block <laughs> with with you know, doing doing franchising. It's never easy, but it's it's uh it's simple if it's done right. It's simple, but it's not easy, right? Right, right. So, uh, Fred, is it time for a commercial? Yes, we can. Not, I have a I have a question for for Nico. Well, why don't we take your question first, and then we'll okay. go to commercial. Go for it. What? says great pizza about the name Rascal House and how did it come about? So Rascal House, uh, the name um, came about, uh, I'll, I'll give you the very uh, quick story. It's a long one. All my stories are going to be long ones because there's, there's just <laughs> a lot going on here. <laughs> but uh, uh, so, so, you know, my, my parents got the location from a, a Dairy Queen that was going out of business. Um, and part of the deal was that they had to keep the name Dairy Queen for X amount of months till they could, you know, do what they wanted with the sign and all that other stuff. So, um, so my, my dad obviously said, okay, you know, I, I think the spot's great. And, and by the way, it was a failed Burger King. It was a failed Dairy Queen. Everybody told my dad, you're crazy. What are you thinking about? Why would you do that? You know, it's downtown Cleveland. Nobody's going to downtown Cleveland. So, um, you know, kudos to my dad for being a visionary. Um, but, uh, but nonetheless, uh, the, you know, so we had time. So, you know, they were running this business, and it was across the street from Cleveland State University. And uh, oh, wow. we were hiring, you know, a lot of college kids and, 
you know, there were some, some video games back in the day that were in the dining room that they had. And, uh, so, you know, my dad's like, you know, look at all these, these rascals that are running around all the time. You know, we can't get them to sit still. You know, they're always up and down and in and out. And, you know, and so my brother and I were, were you know, we were, we were just, uh, you know, just like that. Like, what about Rascal House? You know, so, um, you know, I'm shortening the story. There's a lot more to it. There's a lot of late nights and mm-hmm. drawings at home on the carpet to come up with like a cool name and design. But uh, that's essentially it sort of sprung from just the craziness of having a lot of college kids in our mix um, at the time. And, and uh, it's, it's their home and it still is their home. Space Invaders wait, wait, wait. and Pac-Man, right? Absolutely, man. Those are those Space Invaders was the that was the OG, man. That's a wait, great wait, wait. combination. Galaga. Galaga. Pizza, college, yeah, yeah. Galaga, Success. Space Invaders, Tempest, Centipede. Oh, Centipede! I spent a lot of time on that one. Wait, wait. Oh. There's also Dig Dug. Can't forget. Oh Dig yeah, Dug. absolutely. Dig Dug, <laughs> Burger Time. Oh, Burger Time. Yeah, Remember the pole position was. racing one? Ah, uh, yeah. Ah, <laughs> uh, the days, the days. All right, so uh, reminder, you can call in 323-580-5755 or all of you people hanging out on the website. I still see you hanging there. Send your questions in if we're not getting them in. Uh, reminder, next week we have the CEO of Wisdom Senior Care, Carolyn Thurston, uh, on, so she'll be talking about uh, that franchise for those of us who no longer can eat pizza and get too old. Um, and now a uh, word from another sponsor. Ever wonder how successful business people get educated about franchise business options? The Franchise Consulting Company is a group of over 100 franchise professionals with more than 2,000 years of franchise experience. We help our clients select and investigate franchise companies. And like a realtor, our services are free of charge to you. Our fees are paid by the seller. Reach out to us to learn more and get a free copy of the Franchise MBA, the number one bestseller and highest reviewed book on Amazon in the franchise category. Our website is thefranchiseconsultingcompany.com or feel free to call us on 800-321-6072. And a reminder, you don't even have to go there. You can fill out the form on PillarsOfFranchising.com, and we will get you that book, uh, Franchise MBA. All right, so as I was doing research on Rascal House, um, I ran into a very interesting fact that uh, allegedly when Rascal House was founded in 1980, spandex and hairspray manufacturer sales Rose, do you was it because of Rascal House founding, or was that just a ancillary benefit of Rascal House's founding? I'm I'm 99% sure is because of our founding uh, okay. that those oh things God. spiked in sales. You know, <laughs> I can't I can't 100% be sure, but I'm 99.9% sure. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> the spandex sales really kind of cracked me up. Hairspray, okay, but I don't know I was where wondering... to go with that one, Fred. But but <laughs> that's my answer. I'm fine with that. I just kind of like that. Uh, hmm. Did people in wear Cleveland. spandex? Spandex in Cleveland too. Let's put that together. And parachute <laughs> pants too. We didn't put parachute pants into that fact, but I think those were also part of it. So did and you wear parachute pants? Did you wear 
parachute pants back in 1980? I, I'm not going to answer that question. <laughs> <laughs> if I told you, I'd have to kill everybody on, on the podcast. That's and then there would be pictures that would come out of the archives, and it would be <laughs> nothing about it would be good. Mm, I'm really good with We would demand a picture then, I think. Yeah. <laughs> and, and for anybody who's seen my picture, I had long hair too back then, so that's a whole other, another, uh, you know. Oh, can yeah, we put one of those on the website? No, no hair to long hair. Well, I'm in that process, but, you know, I'm not thrilled about that, but okay. We need to get one of those. So our listeners, if you have a, a picture of Nico with hair, we'll put it on his bio page. Um, so that way you got a then and now thing, sort of like Facebook did. All right. Who is – so, all right, the, 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 then the burning question I have is what's your favorite pizza? Because we've been talking about it, but, you know, what's your favorite pizza and what pizza do you sell the most of? Got to talk about pizza. Um, this, this is definitely a easy one for anybody in the pizza space. Um, pepperoni is absolutely the number one topping. So, um, so that's that there's no, no disputing that it's, it's way, way, as far as percentages go, like it outshines all the other combinations. Um, and my favorite topping is, I would have to say pepperoni, honestly, uh, that's probably my go-to. And, you know, as, as much as I'm in our environment, because our corporate, our headquarters is uh, on the eighth floor of a building that has our corporate store at the first floor. So I, I eat our stuff a lot. And my go-to is definitely a, a fresh slice of pepperoni pizza. And we're one of the few places really in this space too, that does fresh slices uh, anymore. So it's fun to just be able to grab a slice of pizza. It's easy. It tastes great. We love it. Um, but pepperoni is definitely my go-to. So if I have to mix it up, I'm going to kind of, I'm not a pineapple guy. You know, I don't understand that. I mean, we do it, but you know, um, you know, I, I, uh, pepperoni sausage and pepperoni sausage and, and, uh, onion is probably my, you know, those are, those are my go-to items. I can deal with that. So you just said that you're on the eighth floor, which I think it answers the question of why you aren't 900 pounds. Um, having access to all that pizzas, you you walk up and down all eight floors. Got that? Yeah, that makes yeah. sense to me. <laughs> Ray, what's your question? I know we're we're getting well, short on time, so I, go. Yeah. Uh, well, hopefully, I think Nico mentioned that. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because uh, I want to make sure I heard this: that you had a, uh, a former employee that bought a franchise. Is that correct? Is that it's actually two, two have. Um, okay. Uh, and how's that working have out gone for through you? That same, uh, you know, it's it's not a sustainable franchise pathway, right? You're not going to have 100 stores or 200 stores by right. doing that. But it's an absolutely beautiful way to have franchisees in your system. We do have pathways for our team members. We have a lot of incentives if they're team members to be a part of our our franchise family. Um, you're just not going to scale quickly that way, but it's okay. You know I mean? Uh, so, mm-hmm. you know, they're, they're wonderful franchisees. They do really, really well. Um, and it's great because they, they know the brand, they understand our values as a brand and our culture. And, um, you know, that that's a great franchisee to have when you can do that. 
but um, but yeah, but uh, as as far as a franchising model goes, I mean, uh, you know, it's it's tough to kind of anticipate really growing it just that way. But um, but yeah, no, that's a, a definitely an avenue that I would love to continue to have have uh, owners that were our team members. I, I wanted to mention that because I thought that was a really great idea. And I, th- I think, like you say, uh, they, they become part of your family. They're already part of your family. So, you know, you, you just, uh, you know, move them up a little bit closer and they know your culture, which is extremely important. And, you know, it's, it seems like a match made in heaven is what I'm saying, I guess. But, you know, I wanted to ask you how yeah. it's working out. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. I mean, those guys are great and um so happy for them. And uh, honestly, there's other people in our in our system right now that are employees that are talking about growth. They uh, see all of the stuff that we're doing to kind of ramp up a franchise effort, and they're getting very excited. So, I mean, some of the cool stuff that we do do for them is, um, you know, waiving of franchise fees and, you know, training support and incentivizing them with some uh, other, you know, financial stuff that we can do to help them along the way. Um, but uh, it, it's it's a great, absolutely you're right. You know, it's a, it's a great fit when you can find someone that's motivated to, to do it. And, and you know, we talk a lot about um, uh, those folks coming into an opportunity. A lot of people, you know, uh, they don't understand really what can be. And you know, you work at a, they think it's a minimum wage job, and you're in and you're out, and only the owners, you know, ever do anything. And you know, and, and part of our culture is really to, to share with people, be very transparent about what are the opportunities here. You know, uh, an owner of one of these stores can, you know, over, you know, they, they can change the course of their financial life in a very significant way. Um, to run a $2 million operation or 1.7, you know, you're, it's, it's life-changing money. Um, so for someone to kind of understand, number one, what's possible for them, um, in this opportunity, you know, uh, is, is really powerful. And then to, to know that there's a pathway to it that we've sort of mapped out for them and will system, you know, to kind of do that uh, is really great. It's a great win-win when you have the right person that, you know, sees a vision for what they can do and then, you know, wants to know how to do it. So we, we kind of, you know, work with them and, and build that framework for them to kind of have that success. So it's cool to see people that are young, maybe just in college, that are excited, you know, and uh, are working their way through that. So if uh, you have someone out there who's interested in uh, uh, buying one of your franchises, how do they get a hold of you? The the simplest way um, is to really start at our website, uh, rascalhousefranchise.com is the best place to start because uh, – I think the, the the key is to really get a sense for the brand first to see if there's a possible fit uh, for what someone wants to do. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of videos on there uh, talking about our brand and about our, you know, who we are and what we do. Uh, there's videos that our franchisees are uh, in that share a little bit about what the brand is about for them. Um, so I think you'll get a good feel for the brand, number one, to kind of visit there. But then they, there's a, a form on there, too, that if, if someone wants more information, they can submit that form, and then, you know, uh, we'll, we'll get that information and reach out to them. So, um, and, and again, it, you know, for, for us, just a couple, couple key things is, you know, um, there's definitely a certain net worth that we require, you know, anywhere from 750 to a million-dollar net worth. It's, it's sort of high, but our, our, our you know, our build out, you know, our, our, 
our numbers to kind of get one of these up and running, which are, is important to state right off the bat. You know, for us, it's, it's a 440 to 650, um, you know, startup cost, mm-hmm. essentially. And that, that's, with, that's with about 45 grand in working capital. But nonetheless, that's what you're going to have to kind of come to the table. Um, you know, whether you, you skin it with some tenant improvement or you skin it with some other things that offset that, um, nonetheless, that is what it is. So um, someone would have to come into the brand um, and be well capitalized and have sort of, uh, you know, the net worth to sort of qualify um, but nonetheless, you know, that, that's our starting point. So, I mean, someone has those qualifications. Um, and again, there's, there's two types of franchisees that we're really looking for. If you're uh, an owner operator restaurateur that's capitalized, you know, that's uh, that's an easy, easy, easy conversation to have with that potential franchisee. Um, if you are just a pure business person slash investor, um, that has maybe the wherewithal to, to work with other um, partners or restaurateurs to kind of form that team. And, and we would work with both of those people to kind of make sure that, you know, that, that operation can be healthy and successful. And, and we obviously bet them out uh, up front, but that's the other, other franchisee that, you know, we would want to talk to as well. So there's pathways in, in both, you know, um, for our brand. So, um, so yeah, reach out to us at rascalhousefranchise.com. And uh, fill out the, the web form. I would love to, uh, you know, talk to whoever has uh, an interest in being a part of a brand that, you know, again, we're not, we're not an overnight brand. We're not, you know, we're not a fad brand that's going to be here today and who knows tomorrow. Uh, we've weathered 40 years of ups and downs and consumer tastes that have changed and shifted and, you know, deliveries, this, that, all these things that are going on in those spaces um, it's not really new stuff for us, um, which is great, I think, for a person that wants to plug into something that, you know, maybe there's a, a long-term trajectory for their brand. Um, and, and on the other side, too, we are new enough to where um, someone new coming into this brand is going to kind of really be blanketed with a ton of support because we understand how critical it is and we have the bandwidth now to really, you know, help them be as successful as they can be. Um, and share with them every every step of the way, kind of what we've done and what we know has worked for for our guys and for our brand to to allow it to grow and be successful. So it's a great time for our brand, you know, now that there's no real penetration and we haven't had sold out territory. So I mean, for the right people, I think it's a great opportunity. I know it's a great opportunity, um, and uh, I will welcome those conversations. So I appreciate guys, you guys having me on on the uh, the podcast. It was nice to uh, speak to each of you guys. Uh, I guess I'm closing the show out, but I'll let you guys do that. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. So, Holly's, I think, got a – going too quick. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Holly so has a question. Yeah, yeah, let me ask you a couple. Um, following up on your 440, you know, uh, all in on the, on the low end and around 700 on the high end, um, let me ask you this. So are you on the franchise registry as your business yes. for loans? Yes, yes. We are okay, on great. there, and, and we are any... SBA on the SBA registry as well. Right, and do you have any? Um, do you do any internal financing, or just pretty much keep it through SBA? Um, the only connection that we have is through Benetrends, um, and okay. you know, ultimately they have a pathway to kind of support whichever way someone can be capitalized to get it done. Um, but we don't do anything specifically on our end to kind of uh, capitalize someone. Good. And here's big picture for you. What what do you what do you hope to have in play in the next year and then the next five years? What what is what is the outcome 
for Rascal House. Tell, tell us a little bit about your vision for down the road for all of those out there that um, are very interested in your concept. Sure, sure. So my vision for closing out this year would be to have a store either open or just about to open um, along with probably three to five sales um, would be our to close this year out um, would be our goal. Um, And then getting into the five year mark, it's really a 50 to 75 store plan at at the end of year five. Um, And that, again, that would be stores that were sold and hopefully a lot of them being under development and opening at that stage. So, um, you know, that's our our sort of our development plan. My my personal. Yeah, yeah, and my my personal thing is really just uh, I, I want to create a lot of millionaires through the brand and really, you know, have my my parents' name and what they built sort of live on in a long long way through a bunch of uh, families and and people that were a part part of it and touched by it. That's awesome. I know, Fred. You want to pay the bills? Do your thing. Okay, so we're gonna pay the bills with our last commercial, and I get to end the I get to end it with the last question. So. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we'll be listening to this last commercial, and we'll be back with one final question. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers is truly unique in the business resale space. While the average business broker uses one standard multiplier across all businesses and industries to value a business, Zarian Firm is the only business brokerage that looks at the five factors of distinction in each individual business. This gives our sellers a true value and our buyers a fair price. Zarian offers sellers the choice of three marketing packages based on how quickly they want to sell their business. But all of our businesses sell 33% faster than the industry norm. Zarian Firm International Business Brokers connects premium investors with validated business opportunities. And for once, Fred gets to ask the last question. So if you're looking at 50 to 75 uh, franchisees in five years, what do you see as the biggest uh, stumbling block or issue that you need to overcome to get there? Uh, The biggest stumbling block I think is going to be – well, you know, on, on a technical side, it's always the development of a good team. You know, um, I don't know that it's a stumbling block that, that we couldn't get over. I, I mean, obviously well, we will, but the, I yeah. think that's probably the biggest challenge, especially in this market, is finding the right people to add as we add and grow. So it's, I think that's always forever. You know, I don't, I don't know when that will ever change. It's always building a great team getting yourself, getting people, uh, you know, in that are the right fit for the brand and, and the culture and, and making sure that they're, you know, have the capacity to, to help do those next few, you know, layers as you grow. Awesome. So any last words for our audience? Uh, uh, no, I have I, one. I, I just would, oh, me. Yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, go, <laughs> go ahead. I, I was just going to say, uh, I was uh, trying to remember who, who, uh, uh, Nico reminds me of and is Jean-Luc Picard. There you go. <laughs> Beam me I up. Mean, Beam me up, Ray. 
the Starship Rascal House on its five-year mission. <laughs> Sorry. There you, there you go. There you go. Uh, I'll have to refine my uh, my British accent and, uh, there, you know, yep. put on my Star Trek hat. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so with that one... <laughs> <laughs> With that one, so where, um, where are you, Fred? Are you data? And Ray, Ray could be Scotty, right? Different Star Trek. You're Worf. I'm yep. in a Troy. Worf. I'm Worf. <laughs> I'm a Klingon. But, uh, no, guys, I must uh, be. Uh, <laughs> but just, just in, in closing, I, I just Klingon. say thank you guys You're for having Kardashian. me. Going to yeah, thank, thank, thank you guys uh, for, for having me. It was a lot of fun. And uh, again, uh, you know, it's a small world uh, in franchising and, um, you know, and this whole, whole thing that we do. So I look forward to seeing you guys around and uh, sharing in your successes. And, uh, you know, again, I look forward to your guests reaching out. And if there's anything we can do uh, to help you guys uh, get to where you're going, we're, we're happy to do that. Sounds wow. Great. You can't, come up with any better words so on that one we're going to end this one out before we get any more star trek or weird references usually that's me any any more 80s 80s and 90s references yeah (laughs) usually that's me taking us down the rabbit hole means i'm wearing off we're we're definitely we're definitely dating ourselves guys we're dating ourselves (laughs) yeah yeah amen to that all right let's boldly go where no man has gone before oh lord help me Next week, Carolyn Thurston, CEO Senior, uh, sorry, Wisdom Senior Care. Uh, she'll be on at uh, 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Central, 3 p.m. Mountain, and 2 p.m. was uh, Pacific time. Until that point in time, be profitable and listen to our past episodes. Uh-oh.